0: Thank you for listening to a sermon from The District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info@thedistrictchurch. Good morning. Good, good. Happy summer to everyone. I know the summer solstice technically does not begin until June 21st, but according to me, It has begun, so you can give a hearty amen to that. Memorial Day's come and gone. It's getting hotter outside. I'm tired of the rain, Um, so we're starting a summer series today. So, summers begin. So, let's just enjoy that. Um, Today, we do begin our Misconception Series. um, And we want to look at some common beliefs um, and practices, doctrines within Christianity that are very easily... Uh, misunderstood or even mispracticed. And so um, it's going to be a fun series over the next uh, eight or nine weeks. I can't remember how many topics we have on it. I think maybe nine topics. Um, and it's going to be good though. It, 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 kind of differing things of the gospel. Next week we'll be looking at law and grace and kind of how, how do those relate to one another. Uh, do we still practice law or are we completely based on grace alone? Um, and And kind of how those work together. We're also going to be looking at Money and what does God talk about money? Because there's all kinds of misconceptions around that. Um, we're going to be looking at um, trying to think some of the other topics we got coming up. I've only looked at the next month. Uh, we have other good ones coming up as well in July. That'll that'll be fun to look at. Um, but one of the reasons why we wanted to look at these topics is specifically because we know that getting them right or wrong. Um, is a matter of, of life and death. Um, it, it truly is a matter of uh, having joy in life or having a life that leads to destruction. Um, because God is someone, a person, who wants right. Um, he, he has a specific design. Um, he, he does not leave things up for us to kind of Uh, working together with culture and our viewpoints and our opinions and our ideologies or uh, whether or not we had a good uh, meal and we feel happy and joyful about that or we had a bad meal and we're upset and moody. Like He's not leaving up any of those kinds of external or even internal circumstances to determine how we are to go about rightly praising Him. Honoring Him, experiencing Him, preaching and proclaiming a message that is about Him. And so if He ultimately, as you read throughout the Bible, wants the renown of His name, the glory of who He is to spread, as Habakkuk 2.14 says, to spread over the entire earth as the waters cover the sea, if He wants His glory shared, He wants His character, His identity, His truths, he wants them rightly proclaimed, rightly declared so that people can rightly see him for who he truly is. And so that leads to either us experiencing life with God or death apart from God. So all of these things that we're going to be looking at center around getting it right. And so there's going to be basically there's your opinion, there's God's opinion. And we're going to do everything we possibly can To preach and proclaim God's opinion, God's view, God's truth, regardless of of what we feel or or what we think um, or how we've been raised, whether good or bad or whatever it looks like. We want to get to what God is ultimately teaching and proclaiming so that we can begin to rightly um, be able to see the counterfeits of truth, the counterfeits of belief, the counterfeits of church the counterfeits of practice all the counterfeits that we include in it as well as culture and society include in it um, and even that religion itself includes in it and so um, we want to truly experience the john 10 10 life and life abundantly and in order for us to truly experience life and life abundantly we want to make sure that we're experiencing god and who he truly is And so we want to be able to kind of tackle some of these misconceptions. And and today is the gospel. What are our cultural, religious misconceptions around the gospel? What it is, what it is not. So that if the gospel is the very means by which we enter into a relationship with God, then we've got to get the gospel right or nothing else matters. If we don't get the gospel right... Law and grace don't matter. Money doesn't matter. Nothing else matters. Understanding the Holy Spirit doesn't matter. Understanding church practice and why we have liturgies. The other topics are coming to me now. Those don't matter if we don't truly get to the gospel. And if we don't truly understand what the gospel is. We want to start with this topic because 1 Corinthians 15, 1-11 says, and this is the Apostle Paul preaching to a church, he's sending a letter to a church. He tells them, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, past, in which you stand, present, and by which you are being saved, future, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, the word, the gospel, unless you believed it in vain. For I, verse 3, I delivered to you as of first importance... So there's other things within what they do as a church that's important. But the thing that is of first importance is the gospel. I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, and he shares the gospel with them. He teaches them the gospel that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And then he goes on and says, he he continues to kind of share the story that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But, verse 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. He's getting back to this gospel. By the gospel, the grace of God, I stand as what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary. And I love Paul here. He kind of boasts in a way that's actually not boasting. He says, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. So the grace of God, the gospel has produced a person, an identity in the Apostle Paul. I am what I am because of the grace of God. And it produced a work in him. I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I. It was the gospel within me that was truly working out in my actions and my deeds and my thoughts and my um, my motives. Everything that I was doing was because of the gospel. Everything that I am is because of the gospel. And so if Paul did not have a true Gospel, he would not have a new identity nor would he have a purpose to actually live out and function in. So getting the gospel right and correct is very important to the point that he is re-delivering the gospel to a church. And what we know historically about the church in Corinth is that they had so abused the grace of God that they were as a church celebrating The fact that a man could sleep with his stepmother. And in sleeping with his stepmother, the church was celebrating this act of sin in which the grace of God covers so that this man can continue in this relationship. That is a horribly perverted distortion of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the grace of God. For Paul goes on later to continue to say... Shall we sin all the much more so that grace may abound? And he says, by no means. And I'm not going to translate what by no means is because we have children in here. But he's very explicit in what he means by the fact that we shall not continue to act in sin because of what the gospel produces in our identity and in our actions. Getting it right matters because getting it right leads you into what your life looks like. And for this church, they were distorting it. Not only is it we always give uh, the church in Corinth kind of the, the, the bad end of the deal here, but there's, there's other ones who, who distort the gospel. Um, why are there so many misconceptions regarding the gospel? Because it's a message. It's a message. It's literally news. It, it stands for good news. Have you ever played the game uh, Telephone or Chinese Whispers? Chinese whisper sounds creepy, but the telephone. um, The game telephone is like if I were to get all of you in a line, I, I start with the first person and I give them a message and then they whisper it to the next person, whisper it to the next person, whisper it to the next, and then it gets all the way to the end and then the person at the end says what the message was and it's usually by the end of it something that is completely different than what the first message was. This is because we are fundamentally... Flawed in our ability to listen and proclaim a message. To communicate. We as culture, we as humans, constantly have the flesh, have our external circumstances, have all kinds of things, both including the enemy and Satan and demons, warring with us a gospel that is not the gospel. Even within our own selves, wanting to take the gospel and change it to fit the pleasures of our flesh rather than the pleasures of God. We're constantly battling this idea where um, not only do we misunderstand it at times and miscommunicate it at times indirectly due to our fallen sinful nature, in addition to the fact that we do that, there's also those who have made it their life's mission to still kill, and destroy the gospel of Jesus Christ. Both humans as well as the enemy who so not want people to understand it and receive it. I mean, Paul was one of these before he became the Apostle Paul. It was his mission to destroy the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not only is it individuals, but there are churches and even religions who are preaching a gospel contrary to the true gospel of Jesus. This is not new. Listen to how Paul warns the Galatians. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 6 through 9, he says this. Again, preaching to a church. I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and you are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel Contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. You see, God creates... Satan counterfeits. It's just the way in which the the relationship has been working ever since the Garden of Eden. God creates and Satan come in and preaches a different message contrary to what God preached. Shares a message that surely God didn't mean this. Surely God's gospel is not this. Rather it's this which is actually going to be more beneficial for you. It's going to be more pleasing for you. It puts the focus on man rather than on God. There's a gospel preached that praises and pleases man, which is destructive and demonic. And then there's a gospel preached that praises and pleases God and is delightful and divine. We want the latter. And to be honest, the first one does not lead to the pleasure and praise of man. It leads to their destruction, to their death. Getting the gospel right in both belief and practice is a matter of eternal life or eternal death. We're not just talking about whether or not you're missing out on some joys today or some joys tomorrow on on kind of what your theological viewpoints are on the gospel. We're talking life and death. We're talking eternity when it comes to this. Because it's not only dictated upon your eternity, but it's dictated upon the eternity of those in which you share the gospel. Because if you're sharing a wrong gospel, you're not helping anybody. That's weighty, and it should be. Here's the reality, and this sounds weird. God doesn't bless people. He blesses His gospel. Those who live under His gospel now live in the place of blessing. So God is just not in the... The, the kind of the new movement right now is the, is the God is love. Absolutely, God is love. It's his essence. But what that message is, is preaching and proclaiming is, is more that God is tolerant, that God is accepting of anything and everything that we think, believe, do, act. For God to truly be love and for God to be loving is John 3, 16, For God so loved the world. So loved the world. Volume in His love. That He gave His only Son. That He sent Jesus. And as we begin to unpack the gospel, why did He send Jesus? Because as Romans 3 says, there's no one who seeks God. There's no one who loves God. There's, we are enemies as it says in Romans 5. That we are separated from Him. That we've broken relationship with Him. That we've ran the opposite direction of Him. That we don't pursue Him. That we don't seek Him. That we don't look for Him and long for Him and treasure Him. And because we've run the opposite direction, God so loves us in our rebellion that he sends his son Jesus to come after us to take our place to die for our rebellion so that so that those who, according to the gospel, believe in the person and work of Jesus, not anything that they can do, the person and work of Jesus, we can be brought back into right fellowship with God. That we can experience him, that we can enjoy him that we can praise Him, that we can adore Him, that we can love Him, and that we can rightly see His design for life that leads to the ultimate flourishing of society and culture and humanity. There's no gray. It's either life flourishing in God and His design, or it's life leading to death and destruction outside of his design. Getting the gospel right matters so much that throughout our entire history, people have devoted thousands, if not tens of thousands of hours, to writing resources that clearly articulate in a systematic way what the gospel is. What the gospel is. Historically speaking, creeds and confessions have been recorded as a means to Anchor our churches and our people to what the Bible is saying versus what culture is saying. You've got just the name of... To, to let me stop there. These creeds and confessions include but not limited to the confessions of Augustine in 397. Tetrapolitan Confession in 1530, the Helvetic Confessions in 1536 and 1542, the Heidelberg Catechism in 1563, the Belgic Confession in 1566, the Wittenberg Catechism in 1571, the Canons of Dort in 1619, the Heidelberg Confession. Actually, the Heidelberg, Belgic, and Canons of Dort collectively are always called the three forms of unity. Western, uh Westminster Confession of Faith in 1646. The Westminster Shorter and Longer Catechisms in 1649. The 1689 Baptist Confession of Faith. 1966 and 1983 Baptist Faith and Message. These are not to be read as holy, inspired, God-breathed scripture, but they're helpful and beneficial in exhorting and encouraging and pointing us back to What the scripture defines to be God, creation, fall, Christ, redemption, Holy Spirit, the age of the church. They are not scripture to be read as thus says the Lord, but rather exhortations to point us to what scripture says, thus says the Lord. Getting the gospel right is why there's been a resurgence of books written in regards to the gospel and what it is. For example, Matt Chandler wrote the book The Explicit Gospel. Andrew Farley wrote The Naked Gospel. As I used to say when I read it in Tennessee, The Naked Gospel. Jared C. Wilson wrote Gospel Deeps. Greg Gilbert wrote What is the Gospel? J.D. Greer wrote a book simply called Gospel. There's been an ongoing effort for us to maintain a clear and concise understanding of what the true gospel message is. One of the newest resources that's out right now is about a a two-and-a-half-hour documentary called American Gospel, Christ Alone. I'll actually be using just a couple of illustrations from this documentary in a few moments. As I believe it is right now one of the best put-together resources of systematically defining what the gospel is and what it is not outside of the Bible, of course. It's a beautiful, beautiful documentary. And so what I want to start out with is what is or what has become man's view of the gospel. Misconceptions. And and doing a study on this um, to figure out what are the top five misconceptions that include world religions, that include Christian misconceptions, to which I would say are non-Christian misconceptions ultimately church denominational practices that have muddied the water. These are the top five things that we have found that are the main misconceptions that begin to get the gospel wrong. And I know I'm usually not an illustrative guy, but we're going to use illustration today. So for you visual learners, you're welcome. And I'm going to try not to draw too many pictures because it'll go, it'll go south real quick. But, here are the five misconceptions over here. So we have grace and merit. We have faith and works. We have Christ and other mediators. We have scripture and tradition. And we have glory of God and man. These are the top five misconceptions that, according to, again, world religions, different denominations within Christianity who have added to the gospel, these are the five categories that we have taken the gospel and have added things to it and have said this is the way to ultimate salvation. Grace and merit. And to define merit, merit means a good work done that receives a future reward. Works is defined as a person's external actions or deeds and eternal thoughts and emotions. If you can do it, that's a work. Other mediators is just a person who intercedes between God and man or pleads their case. Traditions, individual and corporate, church and or cultural practices. And then, of course, the glory is the fame and renown of either God and or man. And I want to illustrate something for you. Again, this is pulled from kind of the the way in which all of these different religions and their plan of salvation that includes all of these things together, this is essentially what a timeline would look like for an individual person. And so they are born. And for the most part, A lot of people understand that you're either born into sin or you're born with some type of capacity to sin. And so because of that, you are spiritually dead. And so there's something that has to happen in order to start to get you on the right path. Um, But again, in, in including these things, in order to get you to righteous, there has to be something that happens that is a baptism that is ultimately... Your form of justification. Your form of being made right. And so in other religions, this could be an aha moment that you had that I'm going to now begin to do uh, the right things. And so I'm going to um, start attending temples or synagogues or I'm going to start uh, these different practices of um, looking into myself to figure out what, what do I need in order to kind of get on the right track. And so making just a simple decision where I am now being baptized or justified or made right, I am now moving up to this position of now being righteous. Those are eyeballs, no longer dead. Um, And then you begin living your life. And as you live your life, there's going to be times where you're doing good, times where you're doing bad, and you kind of begin this trajectory where In different religions, some call them venial sins, which are not, they're considered sins, but they're considered less than sins that do not remove you from the place of considered righteous. They're just kind of covered up, white lies, if you will. And then there's another thing that's called mortal sins. Mortal sins are greater sins, not lesser sins, that remove you from the place of righteous, but doesn't necessarily knock you all the way back down to unrighteous. It just kind of puts you in this middle ground. You're not really sure. I'm not really, am I a believer? Am I not a believer? Am I good with God? Am I not good with God? I'm just kind of in this place in the middle. And so ultimately, the mortal sins knock you down. And then... You begin a process. You begin working your way to get back up to the top. And there's different things that are used for this process of getting back up. And one is called penances. And the other is sacraments. Penances is there's somebody that you have to go to constantly in order to confess the wrongs that you have done in order for them to go to God and plead the case. Sacraments are the things that you have to do within that belief system that is going to move you towards having more good deeds than bad deeds. And again, this can cross over several religions. Several religions. And ultimately, you kind of get to this place where you cross over, you die. And you're in this in-between. And in this in-between... I don't know if I'm righteous. I don't know if I'm unrighteous. I don't know if I make it or not. Different religions have different names for this. Hinduism, you need to reincarnate because you still owe God something. You still need to pay off your debt. So we're going to start over with another life in which you're going to continue working your way towards ultimately reaching salvation. In Roman Catholicism, this would be the idea of purgatory. That you've worked your way, you've been confessing to priests, you've been doing the traditions of the church, paying your, your penances, paying your, or doing your Hail Marys, praying your Hail Marys, you've been doing your good deeds, you've been working your way back up, but in this life you will never achieve righteousness until you go into purgatory. And once you go into purgatory, if there are enough people, relatives that are still living, that are praying for you and offering sacraments for you, then maybe, maybe at some point you'll either go up or you'll go down. So it's actually never up to you. This is the idea of what's going on within miscommunicating, misunderstanding the gospel. Jehovah's Witnesses add a whole new translation to the Bible that serves to divorce Jesus of his divinity and then add additional teachings that say Jesus was actually just the archangel Michael in a created being. It's a bunch of human, man-made religion in addition to Jesus. Mormons add a whole new book. The Bible's not sufficient, it's not enough, and so they add additional teachings outside of the Bible. The Mormons call themselves the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I will not call them the Church of Jesus Christ because we do not believe in the same Jesus Christ that the gospel declares or that the Holy Spirit inspired. God breathed scriptures declare the Him to be the only way to salvation. Jesus Christ plus anything ruins everything. Islam... Yes, Jesus was a good prophet, but Muhammad is a greater prophet. Jesus isn't God. He's just a prophet. The Bible is an okay book, but the Quran is where God or Allah gets it right. It's about what you do and not what Jesus has done. Hindus, where you have to die and reincarnate because you have to pay God back because Jesus didn't pay the debt on the cross. You've got to pay the debt yourself in the next life. Catholics, yes, there are some who love Jesus because they've at the very least finally read the Bible for themselves and were saved by the grace of God. But for the most part, Catholics are told when they die, they have to go to purgatory to work a little more in hopes of paying God back for your venial and mortal sins. Now, we can pick on other religions. But even within Christianity, we begin to declare a false gospel by adding to Jesus the evidence of salvation as the essence of salvation. Let me say that again. We begin to declare... A false gospel by adding to Jesus the evidence of salvation as the essence of salvation. What I mean by that is there are certain fruits that are produced in the life of a Christian and there are certain works that proceed from the life of a Christian. They are meant to be the evidence of salvation that has happened for us. However, they are not the essence or means to achieve salvation. Let me ask you, what misconceptions have you heard within our own churches that get you onto the varsity team? What Christian practices have some churches included as a means for salvation? Jesus plus what equals salvation? I'm interested. Have you heard anything? You got to do this in order to, to either know you're saved or to be saved or to... Include it? Speaking in, speaking in tongues. Absolutely. Speaking in tongues. Actually, Kelsey had a, a teacher friend down in Tennessee who said um, speaking in tongues was the affirmation or confirmation that one was truly in the Spirit, that, that they had received the Spirit of God, that they have received the Holy Spirit, that they've been truly baptized. It's the kind of completion of someone coming to know God. And I'll tell you... I. I think I know God. I think I'm saved. I, there's an assurance within me that feels that. I've never spoken in tongues. I've said things that have sounded like I've spoken in tongues, but it's not <laughs> truly speaking in tongues. I think earlier I was about to say something, and you were like, oh, he's, something's happening. Speaking in tongues was essentially the confirmation or rite of passage, but it's truly in order to make you a believer, but it's just not the case. What else? Have you ever heard that you have to be baptized? Because Jesus only loves the wet ones, not the dry ones, like <laughs> like there's this idea out there that like until you are baptized by water that you are not saved. Jesus plus tithing or giving. The more you give, the closer you are to God. Jesus plus, fill in the blank, denomination, the right confession of faith, the right Bible translation, the right political party, the right social cause or issue, even fasting. Fasting might be a new idea for some of you. Um, It regards eating, and you say, well, I eat fast. That's not what fasting is. It's actually the not eating. None of these things are necessarily bad. They just don't save you. They don't save you. But yet we've, at times included them and have so fought for them that a person believes that I have to have these things in order to be saved. This is what was happening in Acts chapter 15 at the Council of Jerusalem that we covered a couple of months ago. In Acts chapter 15 verse 1 it says, But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Acts 15, says, but we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. So the gospel was spreading. Gospel was doing its thing. People were coming to know Jesus in right relationship with him. And as people were coming to know Jesus in right relationship with him, the Jews, seeing that Gentiles were now coming to know Christ, said, in order for you to truly be in, you also have to be circumcised. There has to be a work done in order for you to be considered true believer. And Paul goes to Jerusalem and meets with the council and the elders and ultimately comes to the idea, uh, yeah, there's, we, we don't have to do that. It's grace alone. It's not works. It's not merit. It's not anything that we have to do. We don't have to add anything to the gospel. The gospel's, the gospel's good. It's good enough. Listen to what Paul continues to share to the church in Galatia, in Galatians chapter 2, verses 20 through 21. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. O oh, foolish Galatians! Who has bewitched you? Who's tricked you? Who's taught you something contrary to the true gospel of Jesus? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law? What you should be doing? Or did you receive the Spirit by hearing with faith what's already been done? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, something that you did not do? Are you now being perfected by the flesh, something that you should do? See, everything that we do within the gospel hinges upon what's been done, not what we do. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God, it was counted to him as a righteous as righteousness. Know then thats that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham in the scriptures. Foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. Preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham the man of faith. 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 Not works. Faith. Verse 10, for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. The Protestant Reformation in the 16th century was an effort to get back to the true gospel. What the Bible declared to be the only gospel of Jesus Christ. So, what's the biblical view of the gospel? I want you to hear these passages. I, I want to just keep giving you scriptures to just show you that it's not my idea. Just more scripture. John 14, verse 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation, no unrighteousness for those who are in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 2.8-9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. 1 Corinthians 15, 3-4. Again, for I deliver to you as a first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried and that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. The gospel, the good news of salvation is ultimately by these five things. Grace alone. Faith alone. In Christ alone. According to the scriptures alone. For the glory of God alone. That's the Reformation. The church had so moved to grace plus what you do in order to try to receive a later reward... Faith plus what you need to do in sacraments and deeds and actions and whatnot. Christ and other mediators, whether that's um, a a priest or um, a Buddhist priest or a Hindu or whatever it looks like. Scripture and the traditions of the church, the liturgy. You coming in here, did you pray enough? Did you give enough? Did you share the gospel enough? Did you fast enough? Did you do these things in order to, in addition to what the scriptures are teaching, glory of God or man? Am I pleasing man or am I just out to please God? It's the glory of God, it's the renown of his name, not man's name. It's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to the scriptures alone, for the glory of God alone. And as Romans 8, 29 through 30 says. I want you to see this as we kind of play out the picture of what this looks like for Christians receiving the true gospel. Romans 8, 29-30 says, For those whom he foreknew, don't get scared or um, nervous about foreknew and predestined. I'm just reading scripture. Take it up with scripture, not with me. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. To be conformed to the image of his son. That's grace. That's just God saying, before you're born, before you knew you, I knew you. I'm gonna make you like my son. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers, Jesus, those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So what this looks like is we're born. If you can't see this anymore, I'm sorry. Little stick figure dead. You're born. And at some point in your life, God calls you. And I don't know what that calling is going to look like for you. What I do know, according to Romans 10, 14, it's going to be through the proclamation of the word of God. It's going to be the gospel being declared to you, proclaimed to you, shared with you in some way or another. Every single one of us who are believers can tie it back to either a time when I was sitting in a sermon or I was sitting in a park... Or I was sitting in my car and I heard it through a song or whatever it looks like. It was the word of God declaring the gospel message of Jesus Christ and his life and his death and his resurrection. It was preached and it was proclaimed. You heard it as Romans ten fourteen says. How can they hear, how can they believe unless they've heard the gospel message? And how can they hear it unless someone goes to them and preaches it to them? You've heard the message. So at some point in my life, when I know I was in seventh grade and a fifth grader, 10 years old, shared the gospel with me. At that moment, God called me. And in the moment that he called me. Again, don't get upset about the language. It's what Romans 8 is saying. He called me. He justified me. He applied the work of Jesus Christ to my life. And so the Reformation calls this the great exchange. Where in this moment of justification, which justification means just to declare right. It's a a legal term. It's a pardoning of sin. God took my sin and placed it on Jesus Christ at the cross. God took Jesus' righteousness, so my unrighteousness, placed it on Jesus at the cross. So let's just put a cross here. He took my unrighteousness, placed it on Jesus at the cross, and killed it. Put it to death because Romans 3 and Romans 6 says the wages of sin is death. we got to pay the penalty of death. Jesus died on the cross paying my unrighteous debt so that God could take Christ's righteousness, that perfect life that he lived, he could take that righteousness and also apply it to my account so that I also jump up here and I'm happy. Eyes are open, illuminated. I see Jesus for who he is, and I'm excited about Jesus. Here, I was not excited about a lot of anything, because I'm just spiritually dead. I'm just flesh, whatever I can just feed my flesh, daily pleasures, just temporary pleasures. Let's just keep those things coming, because apparently that's the greatest thing that can be experienced when you're spiritually dead, is what can I get now? When you're illuminated and you see Jesus for who He is, temporary pleasures no longer are seen as pleasures. They're just seen as temporary. Things that rob me of eternal joy rob me of eternal Christ because now all of a sudden I am seeing through a lens of the gospel that God is glory, that God is good, that God is right, that God is awesome, that God is holy. And I get to experience life with this God who loves me. Who now, because I'm in the position of gospel and being blessed by God. Like the idea of, and and we can start to kind of go through this little trajectory here. Our life is going to look like just a straight line. Just a straight line. Because there's going to be times where I fall. And then he just keeps me going. And I might fall, and he keeps me going. I might fall, and he keeps me going. And the reason, even when I fall and I sin the cross, at every moment, God's looking and saying, hey, uh, we've already covered that. We've already paid for that. Past, present, future. Your sins are on Jesus. It's covered. It's paid for. When I brought you into the courtroom, I declared you righteous. I declared you forgiven. Past, present, and future. So from here to here, no matter, and we'll talk about this next week when we look at law and grace, no matter what you do or don't do, doesn't matter because you're covered, you are righteous. I will always see you as I see my son Jesus in whom I'm well pleased. So I will look at you from here on out in righteousness. And it has nothing to do with what you do or don't do. Because the cross is being applied to your account every single day. Between these two scenarios, which one do you think produces freedom? Which one is a person who's free versus a person who's enslaved? This is why it matters to get this right. The people of God throughout our history in efforts to try to figure it out themselves. People of God were given a law, but they broke the law. Sacrifices were then provided to the priests, but the priests who offered them began themselves to be malevolent or malevolent and not helping. Then God gave them judges. Well, just do what's right in your own eyes, the judges begin to say. Well, that doesn't work either. Okay, pick a king. Your tallest, strongest, most handsomest guy. Well, the king becomes selfish. Well, then give them prophets to the king, and the prophets will tell them what to do. Well, then the people killed all the prophets. Time after time again, we begin to understand that through the course of millennia, God is saying, you need a better lawkeeper, You need a better judge. You need a better sacrifice. You need a better prophet. You need a better priest. You need a better king. Not this, not this, not this, that we see throughout the entire Old Testament. Those things do not lead to salvation. You need better than. And then we get Jesus who comes in as the perfect lawkeeper. He comes in as the perfect sacrifice. He comes in as the perfect judge. He comes in as the perfect priest. He comes in as the perfect prophet and ultimately the perfect king. Everything that we see in the entire Old Testament was not a means for man to try to figure out how to actually achieve righteousness. It was just God showing and declaring to us, let me just... Clear the board and put all the cards out on the table. Anything that you can try to think of to try to work your way back to me. I'm just going to show you how Christ is the better than. The law was never given to us to try to actually do it perfectly so that we could become righteous. Because even if you did, you still have the entire history of not doing it right. That's going to be held against you. It's constantly pointing to us. Jesus, Jesus, you need Jesus. You need salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to the scriptures alone, for the glory of God alone. That's what you need. That's what we need. That's the gospel message. And without that message, we're going to just spin our wheels trying to figure it out in our own strength. And how defeating. And frustrating that is when we begin to rely on ourselves rather than relying on God alone. God alone. This is why the message is not only freeing to believe, but it's also freeing to proclaim. Because when I go and share with someone grace, it's not demanding anything from them. It's not telling them, hey, once you hit this tax bracket, you're gonna have to start giving X amount of dollars to the church. Uh, once you are, you gotta stop doing, you're doing, you need to stop doing that, you need to start doing this, you need to reach this certain amount of intellect and knowledge about who God is in order to know who God is. Like, I have more questions now about God than when I did when I believed in God. Because the gospel is deep. And scripture is deep. And the way God works out his design is deep. We don't have to have it all figured out. If he was waiting for us to figure it out, for him to justify us, uh, it'll never happen. We'll never be justified. He calls. He justifies by applying the work of Jesus Christ to our lives. And then as it says... He moves us down the path of for those whom He justified. He will one day, and we'll just walk straight into eternity, glorified. And it's never going to be based on how much did you pray? How much did you give? How much did you share the gospel? Guys, for us, the day of judgment, like I I think we have this picture in our minds that we're going to get to judgment, and He's going to recount for us every single one of our sins, and we're going to have to give an explanation. How many of you have been taught, like, that's kind of the view of what we have coming up? And you're just kind of, and like, you're going to, I mean, you're going to be peeing yourself the whole time. Like, that's what, because you're like, oh my, I, I didn't even know I did that. Like, how am I going to cover that? Like, God, here's what, and you're trying to explain to God why you did what you did. No, that's not the way it works out for us. Our judgment has already happened. Because for those who have been justified, we've already been in the courtroom. So, when we meet God in judgment, whether that's we die at some point and we're there, or we just go, He returns and brings us up and we float up to heaven with Him, like whatever the day of judgment looks like, when we walk into that room, we're going to see Jesus. And as we walk in, Jesus is going to say, Yeah, they, they, they have a long list. Here's their list. But that list, I already paid for. At the cross. Hey, bro, I've got a party for you. Let's go. Like, the Feast of the Lamb, let's go. Like, what we do, like, the last Sunday of the month is, I mean, it's not even JV. Like, that's poor. Like, we're in a C-League church softball. Like, it's not, it's, it's bad compared to what the Feast of the Lamb is going to be where he invites us in. When we go to judgment, it is not a judgment. It is we're going to the reception of the wedding of us to Jesus. He can't wait to dance with us. He can't wait to dance with us. He can't wait to celebrate and party. It's a party. It's what I think of when, when, when I hear the story of the Um, yesterday I went to a funeral uh, for my coach and mentor and on the way back from the funeral I did the thing I shouldn't have done I listened to his last sermon that he preached Um, and it was on the prodigal son He was teaching about everyone always focuses on the the reckless living of the son and everything that he did that was wrong. But they don't realize that the sin was actually him breaking fellowship with the father and moving to a distant land, him leaving the father. But then him believing that what he could do is work his way back in by coming and becoming a hired servant. I'm going to earn my way back in. And as he's kind of coming back to the house and as he's trying to think through, I, I've got this speech prepared. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work my way back into relationship before he can ever even get the words out of his mouth. The father is wrapping him with a robe and putting rings on his finger and sandals on his feet. And he's screaming to those Who worked for him. Go get the fattened calf. We are going to celebrate tonight. And he didn't do anything but sin. And the father is welcoming him in. Because the father is giving him grace. That's a party. And that's what it looks like for us. We don't have to earn. We don't have to convince God. We don't have to come with a speech or preparation or anything like that. God gives us the gift of the gospel and says, let's celebrate. Let's party. That's what we have to look forward to. And that's the message we get to share with those around us. You don't have to work your way, you don't have to earn anything, you don't have to figure it out yourself. God's done all the work. You receive it. Be blessed by it. Receive it. Believe it. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to a sermon from The District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at infothedistrict.church? At